Welcome to episode number 52, where I've got Paul Janka from the Dr. Phil Show, the Today Show, Tyra Banks, and tons of other media publications, where he was the number one pickup artist and dating coach in the world for men for about 10 years. Paul is a Harvard graduate, best-selling author of his two books called Attraction Formula and Getting Laid in New York City. Paul is one of the most controversial figures on the internet, and I've got him here for one hour conversation, digging deep into the world of dating, attraction, improving your sex life, and also how to go to, from one of the biggest players and pickup artists in the world that he's admitted he's had sex and dated over almost 300 girls, like 300, and going from that lifestyle to now being married with a daughter and living in the suburbs. So going from this Manhattan playboy lifestyle of just wild nights, dating models, to now being a settled down parent and the transition in that. And I think this is something that a lot of guys go through that kind of go from having a wild 20s or 30s and then settling down into marriage, how to kind of transition from that lifestyle to more of like a responsible adult. And we go really deep into, he's a very smart guy. Like I said, he, he's a Harvard graduate, worked on Wall Street, and then he made millions and millions of dollars in his own dating coaching company where he taught guys how to approach women, and how to get dates, and how to attract their partner. And Paul also was the key, I guess, creator of Day Game. His whole philosophy is not to meet women in bars or clubs, but to meet them and approach them at the grocery store. Uh, on the subway, um, in a cafe, where there's not a lot of other guys that are doing that or have the confidence to that, do that without you know having a drink in their hand or something like that. So uh, I've known Paul for a number of years, and it's great to reconnect with him here for this call, and really interesting for anyone who's wanting to either have a more, I guess, interactive love life or settle down with that one special partner. Paul talks about how to do that and share this episode out. This is a really, really good one. And he's been, like like I said, one of the top performers in this industry and featured on Dr. Phil, Today Show, Tyra Banks, tons of other media. Uh, he's got a new book and uh, program coming out, helping guys do exactly that. How to, uh, I guess, qualify a good marriage partner, how to choose someone either for fun, casual dating, or for serious relationships, and what to look for in each of those scenarios. So guys, I'm super excited to bring you this. This is kind of the last episode of our little mini relationship series, and then we're going to be moving on to uh, business startups. I've got a ton of episodes I recorded in Bali with some incredible high-performing entrepreneurs. That's going to be the next series coming out. So wanted to save kind of the best for last and enjoy this one because it is killer. All right, welcome back, everyone. And uh, this is going to be a really, really great wrap up to this mini series about relationships. As I've got Paul Janka on the line here, who has been probably one of the biggest names in the whole um, dating industry for men how to attract and meet and date women and have relationships. Uh, Paul has two best selling books. One is called The Attraction Formula, and the second one, a little more provocative, is called Getting Laid in New York. And his work has been featured and he's been interviewed on Dr. Phil, 
the Today Show, Tyra Banks, a ton of different media all around the world. And I've been following his work for a long time because it really is different from what a lot of other kind of like, quote unquote, pickup artists or dating coaches are advising. And Paul, man, it's awesome to, to chat. We've gone back and forth over the years. And uh, it's been great to see your evolution uh, uh, as a man going from one of the biggest notorious Casanovas or Playboys, as they say, in the world to now being settled down, being married with a daughter. So really looking forward great. to hearing your, your story. And thanks so much for, for taking the time and coming on today, man. I'm honored. Hey, thanks for having me. This should be interesting. We, there's a lot of overlap, so it should be interesting conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so maybe if you want to give a, a brief overview of your story, you know, where you're from, what you used to do, you're a Harvard grad, you know, you're a very intelligent guy. That's the other thing that uh, was really a, a breath of fresh air that you're, you're very well spoken, you're a great writer. And just the fact, you know, coming from Harvard, that's not a, uh, an easy task to get into and, and graduate from. So yeah, man, let's, uh, let's hear wh wh where you came from and what you've been up to. Mm. Um, well, I guess the, probably the couple pertinent facts, I'm 43 now, so I'm almost middle-aged or officially middle-aged. So if we dial it way, way back, um, I was born in Santa Monica, California, and um, what's well, a big public high school, a beautiful place to grow up. And I was, a, as you alluded to, a very good student and an athlete, N not much success with the women, not for lack of trying. Actually, they were there was a lot of opportunity, but I didn't have any skills back then in my teenage years. And then I went to Harvard, as you said, and started to sort of fall in more with the partiers and develop the taste for the women. <laughs> and after college, I'd moved to New York. Well, I was in Boston for some years. I moved to New York and lived there nine years. And I had one significant relationship, but aside from that, it was just a playground. Mm -hmm. And that's really when the anonymity of the city allowed me to sort of act out all these fantasies that you might see on pornography or you might have as a guy, a young guy, you might, wouldn't it be cool to have two girls or all these things mm -hmm. or to sleep with a stranger, all these things that in a smaller community is not really possible, but right. New York city has a, such a volume of attractive women and there's such anonymity so they can act. People can act on their urges and impulses with almost no consequence. And I think, there's a couple other cities that share that. I'd be interested to hear about Seoul. But yeah. um, in general, I think New York's probably the top, especially in the English-speaking world. And I lived there for years, and that's when I sort of broke out as this playboy. And unintentionally, I did write Getting Late in NYC, but that was just as a little sort of exercise in, in fun writing for a few mates. But then it, as a PDF, it sort of made its way in the through the internet into a lot of hands. And then I was, as you said, I was on TV and then these magazines and stuff. And I, it sort of was thrust on me and I took it and ran and then had a light bulb moment with my partner, a partner, a couple businessmen approached me and I had a light bulb moment. We could make a lot of money. So, cause I had kind of not wasted, but I had been distracted for years with, hmm. with women and I hadn't really, uh, it's been, it was a lot of fun, but it was, um, it distracted me from career development massively. Yeah. And so I thought one way to sort of right that wrong was if we can monetize all that experience, which we did. And we made millions of dollars for years. And, um, and then it came to a point when I kind of had satiated that. I mean, that appetite never really goes away, but yeah. we can talk about that a bit, like getting yeah. into late thirties or middle age with a really, 
an appetite for women, it can be sometimes problematic. But um, yeah. I always knew that I wanted sort of the default nuclear family. I never, I never thought, oh, kids are. I, I always knew kids were something I wanted to see, try, yeah. and I wanted to be married. So there came a point when sort of things fell together, and I had enough experience with women that um, I was sort of my radar was open to it, and I met a really quality girl who was the right age and the right demeanor and we had a lot of fun and had very good chemistry and she had very most importantly she had really really incredible character mm -hmm. so i thought this will last yeah. and then we started dating she was english and then this, she's now my wife and, and the mother of my daughter but uh i moved over to london in 2011 and got off the merry-go-round and started to focus on monogamy and right. continue my business and now i have a new business about men looking how to screen for a wife looking for something more wow. permanent we yeah. can talk about that but that's sort of my evolution and on the side i've also been an entrepreneur i have other projects but um that's sort of in a nutshell well that that's amazing that's really fascinating you know you, you take this lifestyle that you're living and then you figure out like hey there's a way to monetize this you build a multiple million dollar business and i know that you had one of the biggest dating and, and men's coaching companies in the world which is like no small feat. You know, there, there's so many other guys out there uh, on YouTube with videos and producing content, but to rise to the top of that, you know, as a statement for, for, you know, what you were able to create. I know that you have a podcast that you have that I was listening to a lot called Diapers Off. That was really cool. Talking about guys that are kind of transitioning through their, you know, adolescence to now kind of more middle-aged thirties and forties talking about careers. And I think that, your progression is very similar to a lot of guys that have this kind of more wild uh, party dating life. I know you don't drink though, right? Yeah, no, I, when I was younger, I also, I, I'm a man of many appetites, as a okay. friend of mine says. <laughs> Women weren't, wasn't the only one. I, I had a taste for alcohol and other stuff and that, I had to put the cork in the jug early because that yeah. was, for me, that was like rocket fuel. I, I, I myself and others pointed out that I, it's best if I probably steer clear of that one vice. Right. So I, I, in a way, I probably transferred that appetite that I, closing that door probably increased my appetite for women, which was fine. But um, no, I don't drugs and alcohol. I put those to bed about 19. Yeah. Okay. Oh, 19. So, That's like before the legal drinking age. That's hilarious. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. One yeah. Actually, thing I wanted to say is, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, about about diapers off and how I, I think for men who don't follow the traditional path of like going to a four-year university, for example, and then getting one of the standard careers, doctor, lawyer, accountant, mm. dentist, those things have inbuilt narratives. Like if you're a dentist, you don't have that many degree of freedom or a doctor. I mean, you're working, but if you, if you decide not to do that, the, the script is sort of difficult, especially now with feminism and the me too movement and broken families and like mm -hmm. there's so many th that's why we started that podcast peter now there's so many obstacles and different options and opportunity for men and it's it's not clear what the best path is and i think a lot of men are just up until about 25 you can wing it but then as you approach 30 you start to be like what the fuck like how do you make decisions it's difficult yeah yeah i think that one of the things one of the the questions i have here in my notes for you is what comes first? For example, there's a lot of guys that say, I want to become a doctor. I want to be a lawyer, not for the status or for the money, but to get the girl. So the thing that I've kind of had in my mind That's and, crazy, man. And, ha and, had, and had a lot of, and had a lot of rationalizations is if you can get girls without going that route, 
of having to either, you know, start a business or uh, study for, you know, 10 years in, in a post postdoc degree. If you can actually just get the girl without going through all that, do you really need to go through all that? Like, do you need to be quote unquote successful? If you can already live the dream that all these guys are working towards. And I think that's what, why people probably buy your materials. They're trying to look for a hack or, or a shortcut to get the skills. So they don't have to go this, what people think society says that they have to do to be able to attract that woman or that partner or that wife or that, you know, 10 that they see at, at, the, at the Starbucks every day that they just don't have the confidence to attract. Um, so I think that, being successful interiorly with confidence and personal development is almost a way for guys to get what they want without having to go through all the things that people think they need to have in order to get the result that they want. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I have a thought on that. First of all, I think I write about this, but all my most professionally successful friends, those type of guys don't necessarily get, yeah, girls we're talking about. I mean, exactly. If in your 20s and your 30s, you're so head down, focused on medical school or Wall Street, I'm talking about guys who make a lot of money. Yeah. By the time you raise your head up, you're older, you want you want maybe a woman who's going to be a wife and a mother, you're not looking for a hot piece, right? That's a big myth to build all that. Actually, the truth is, there's a there's a and I know this for certain, the best ingredients for getting girls is you need to live in a massive metropolitan city with a lot of women and, and anonymity you need massive free time yeah. why because women like attention and only the guy who has a lot of free time can give him that level of attention yeah. so actually an unemployed guy i my my profile was ideal that's why i did so well yeah. essentially nearly unemployed guy in the middle of new york city will probably have the most success because he can spend the time wooing and charming these women mm -hmm. and playing the numbers game in a highly dense target rich environment like these other guys who have their head down they don't have the bandwidth to do this yeah so actually it's it, it's exactly the opposite of what you're talking about I, and here what i'm talking about is like putting up big numbers and having sex with a lot of attractive women casually yeah so if you're if you're looking to snare someone who's a woman who wants a provider to have a big home that's a different equation but that's only one girl. That's not really say, satisfying your dream of being having tons of hot women. That's a very different thing. Yeah, I, th I think I miscommunicated that because what I was saying was exactly the point that you made that you don't need to have all that in order to get the girl because what it comes down to is having the free time, having the confidence and just having the, um, I guess, just the balls to go up and say hi when most guys are just walking by, you know, that's what it comes down to. And to kind of talk about what you kind of got famous for was your day game, you know, approaching girls, not at bars, not at clubs, but just going up uh, on the street, on the subway, at coffee shops, and just initiating that first conversation where most guys need to have a drink in their hand at a bar when there's like, you know, 50 other guys approaching the same girl. And that's like the worst time to go and meet a girl. Yeah, I agree. And um, part of, part of my, evolution or development into a playboy or player was that new york and there are some Parises like this london a little less so um if you're in an environment where there's tons of women it's almost and you're a straight guy unattached it's almost inevitable that eventually you're going to think like why don't i just you're like in a laboratory why don't i just try some stuff out because there's no there's no cost to it because you might not never see that girl again yeah so part of why it worked for me was i 
aside from having free time and having the maybe the looks and the style and the confidence i was always good with language too i mean you have to have a bit of rap yeah um but i was just in an environment where there was a flood of women so even if i screwed up royally with a hundred there was another fifty thousand behind them there was yeah. no shortage and that that'll turn anyone into even the shyest guy into a playboy if he just sticks with it yeah because he has yeah. he, he has that repetition to build to we're a learning organism right a human being you'll mm -hmm. learn eventually what yeah. to do and what to not but the thing is a lot of guys don't live in that like you know the guy who goes to medical school in des moines or whatever. i mean a lot of men don't live in that kind of environment and i actually used to coach men to to if they were really serious about this to move from like a small town right to uh, like a new york for example yeah, yeah, no, proximity and location environment makes a huge difference, you know, like it's, it's massive, like, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, a couple things here. So talking about your transition, because you said this is what you did from basically, it sounds like university and Harvard testing this out until maybe how long have you been married now? 10 years until about 2009 or 10. I was probably about my mid twenties. I hit a, I hit in Boston, I sort of hit a gear. Yeah. And then when I moved to New York, it was like all bets were off. I mean, because the yeah. thing is, I mean, the stuff I used to pull, you can just, there's no accountability in New York City. So yeah. anyhow, from that point until I, I got serious with my girlfriend, I was a free agent. And yeah, and I, I had some girlfriends along the way for sure, but um, sometimes we had open stuff and other times, in, or they were brief relationships. And for that 10 year period, I would say from like late twenties or mid twenties to mid thirties, right. I was, uh, I was just a big, I was slain dragons, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Fun. But there's also you. for me, that was also, I'm glad I, I spent a lot of time at that transition point thinking about like, if, if you want to be really crass, it's like a book of business. I, I looked at my catalog of conquests and I was like, okay, I, I'm 35 or 34 or whatever it was. Um, if 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 I double down and try to double or triple my book mm -hmm. and I use the next 10 years until my mid 40s, is that the right use of time? I, I remember talking with a play, player friend of mine about it. And um, for me, I concluded like the marginal utility of that next 200 girls or whatever, or 250, it wasn't worth it. Like, because you, there is a real cost if you have a certain vision of your future, the, the mid 30 to mid 40, those are the real cost to remaining in the game. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you and can relate. And are you comfortable sharing? Like I know in Dr. Phil, you shared that you have a spreadsheet of how many uh, partners you've I mean, had. I, obviously it's not updated. I mean, I don't reference it now, but I, I think I tapped out at about 250, if that's what you're asking, conquests. Right. So 250. Yeah. That's uh, and is there, is that a number that you think is like, unheard of high or guys that are producing on your same level is that kind of like normal or like you've, you've probably yeah, had many I conversations with guys. i think that's normal actually a friend of mine um who i ran around with in new york i mean he was like he was remarkable because he was like not that good looking he was he dressed kind of schlubby he loved asian women by the way particularly oh yeah but man he was a tenacious fucker and like he i think he banged like about 500 girls sexual yeah. intercourse you know and um yeah unfortunately crazy story he got um adult onset parkinson's and now he's like michael j fox and he's quite oh, wow. debilitated but i mean i feel awful for the guy and we were quite close in terms of we spent a lot of dark years together running nailing chicks but right he 
at the very least, sometimes I think like, you know, when he, when his body was able, this is sort of a larger lesson for men. When he was healthy and able-bodied, he actually enjoyed a lot of sexual activity. Mm. And, and now he can, unfortunately. But I think a lot of men postpone that. The best right. time to nail chicks is like in your 20s and 30s. Don't think like, I'm going to get the yacht when I'm 50. I mean, what 50-year-old yeah. with bad knees and a soft dick wants to, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you should fuck when you're young, really. So, um, but he, as I said, he, he topped out at about 500 plus last time I talked to him. And um, I, I, the, the thing that really takes guys, and I was, this happened to me. I mean, the really thing that slows down your, your number count is if you get into a monogamous relationship. Yeah. And I had some serious girlfriends along the way of two years. or So basically, if you're faithful during that part, the clock stops, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. And uh, yeah, like, are you connected with guys like Neil Strauss and Mystery, like these other big names in the whole industry? Like Some of them I know. I, I, I think I have had correspondence with Neil Strauss perhaps years ago. Mystery, I don't know. But I, all these folks sort of travel in the same circles. So we're like one person removed. Right. The truth is I never... I mean, I read the game actually, but uh, I never um, really thought of myself as a PUA because they I think those guys do it for slightly different reasons. I think they do it for the male camaraderie, yeah, and also for the attention, right? The hero, hero worship. Mm -hmm. Actually, I didn't care about any of that. I was just a lustful fucker, and I figured out that like part of the reason there's a business we have is that there are actually protocols and you can codify this to yes. some degree it's not totally random whether yeah. you get laid or not and so i figured like why not help out men by putting this like so they stop wasting time and money right. it wasn't that i wanted to be like worshipped by legions of like young pimply faced men <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and uh i'm not sure if you read it but neil's book called the truth i actually never read the game but i read the truth and that was just like probably one of the best books i've ever read because it talks about his full circle after pro, pro, pro putting that book out and basically his uh, struggles with sex addiction, going into sex addiction rehab, trying all these different uh, relationships out like polyamorous, living with like three different girls, getting married. Now he just got divorced, you know, like it, it was a pretty heavy, like real life unfiltered story about what it's like when you're really living at this, this extreme. And it was just really, really, uh, yeah, it, it was just like a, a book that was really just totally real and authentic. And I think that a lot of people could relate that have been kind of living these kind of uh, just more uh, extreme lifestyles. So I mean, do you, let me ask you a question. Do you think, I mean, individuals are perhaps prone to addictions and sexual addiction, but we have like freely available pornography and, and in right. general, um, there's not a lot of sexual taboos as much as there were 50 years ago. And yeah. Do you think there's sort of this free for all feeds these feeds this society where, where these people are either non-committed or, or they have these polyamory or sex yeah. addiction, all these like alternative lifestyles and going down rabbit holes and stuff. Um, I, I don't want to sound judgmental. I mean, obviously I've made certain choices in my life that I believe in, in terms of marriage and monogamy, but mm -hmm. do you think, that we've opened there's like a can of worms like everyone's just doing their own thing i mean how how do, and is do you think there's i don't want to sound too dramatic but is this like imperil society or what i mean what are your thoughts well i think i think what i've seen personally um 
especially I just did a, an episode with a guy in Bali. I went to this men's group. It was amazing. About 30 guys every Monday meet at, at, in Changu. It's like this surfer community. And it was just all these guys, like high level entrepreneurs, like really, really big names in, in you know, the kind of e-commerce space. And we were all there just sharing, like 30 guys every week sharing. And this one guy came out. He was anonymous. I did a podcast episode with him uh, and all about porn addiction and sex addiction. It was freaking fascinating because what he was saying was he's in a relationship. And I think what it is really is now with social media, you just have access to everyone. Like everyone is just like one click away, one direct message away. And it's just basically what he was shared and what a lot of guys um, have shared uh, at this table talk was basically they're in a relationship. It hits this one to two year mark. And then the physical attraction just is dying down and it continues to die down the longer the relationship goes. And the access to more women is increasing. So that's why you get these guys turning the heads, maybe downloading some dating apps, having this alternative lifestyle or the secret lifestyle where they are maybe in a relationship but secretly meeting other people because we're at a point right now in society where there's just access like never before. And it's not so much just porn, it's just like real life porn. And that's what he said in the episode. He's like, dude, walking around Bali is like walking around a porn set in real life. He's like, there's porn everywhere. Why and are there hot girls there? Oh, dude, it's ridiculous. Well, it's like all like, it's just like a basic place where people go for vacation and they're just going wild, you know, like at the beach, they're topless, uh, at the clubs, they're not wearing hardly anything. People are getting smashed and then going to get smashed someplace, you know, like it's just, it's a free for all, man. Wow. And that's what, uh, well, that's what I think even regular cities are like, you know, like I go back to Vancouver in this summer, same thing, you know, like it's just, I think we're just getting more and more, um, yeah, just, just the, the, the whole world is just getting meshed together in this close proximity where you, you can connect with anybody anytime. It's like, if you want a date delivered to your door, it's like ordering pizza these days. You just swipe and you can meet somebody in like, you know, 30 minutes, basically. So I think mm. access is the main thing that's, that's really the, the, the interesting. The, I mean, the, I got off the merry-go-round sort of right before all that stuff really hit. Yeah, like the app, you know, Tinder and all that kind of stuff. Thank God, because I mean, obviously, I had an appetite for that thing. It, it's yeah. so funny. I mean, to hear you, I know that all goes on. Yeah, to hear you describe it and like juxtapose it to my life. Like, I live in a North London suburb that is, we have the highest per capita babies of all of the oh, UK wow. or certainly London, and so everything is mothers and their prams, and like, yeah. you know dealing with the children and like I took my daughter to nursery this morning and like it's right. like my whole world is around the family locus yeah like well that's and, the, and it's so different you know that's probably a good thing and that probably helps you stay away from these potential triggers you know like if you were I, I actually it's funny you say that because I I uh I had a mentor I have a mentor in New York City who's yeah. was a, quite a playboy Italian guy like a mobster he used to own bar and he said listen a lot of guys in New York when you hit start popping out kids get the fuck out of the city like you don't need yeah. to be in a target rich environment as a father and a dad like it, yeah why yeah you know? yeah exactly so. well that, that's one thing i preparing for this episode i was looking through and watching a lot of your your interviews on on youtube and stuff and one thing you said that, that just made so much sense there, there's like this guy from london interviewing you i can't remember the name of him but uh 
you just said something you're like well why would I approach a girl like get her number like that's that's just gonna lead not to nothing but trouble you know like it's mm -hmm. good that you're aware that there are these boundaries that you don't want to cross because once you do it just opens a door of you know who knows yeah and, because once you get the lust going then you, it's a slippery slope you know like I stopped sure. coaching in person when I got serious with my girlfriend because I, I you know if I had a really good rapport with a girl on the street and she was sexy and like gave the number and like it you, you just get that first little oh, yeah. hit of dopamine or like that excitement. I yeah. was like trying to reel, reel that back in and not play, play that out. I was, I was like, it's going to torture me. So I just cut the. Yeah. Cut yeah, it. no, absolutely. Well, that, that leads me to a question. I, you know, I, I, I asked a couple of friends of mine leading up to this interview. I'm like, well, what would be some questions you would want me to, to ask Paul? And uh, one of the, uh, the main questions when I kind of told them, I sent them the video of your Dr. Phil. And then I said, you know, this was a number of years ago. Now he's married and he's got a daughter. And, and they basically all wanted to know, like, what has been the transition? Like going from, you know, this guy living in New York, this wild, lavish lifestyle to now living in this, you know, uh, suburbia environment in, in London with a, a family. You know, like, how, how has that been? And one of the things you said in one of your talks, uh, lectures from a while back, um, I listened to, you said, you know, the higher you go in this living this lifestyle, the harder it is to kind of, you know, get, get out of it. You know, the more success you have with women and dating, the harder it is to leave that. And you saying that really rang true to me because I look around and all my friends now are married and settled down. And I'm like, I, I don't think I could do that. Like, I'm just having way too much fun with freedom and flexibility. And, and I've always wanted to be a father. Um, but I never really saw myself as a husband, you know, and that's, that's might sound bad, but that's just how I always kind of was. Um, and unfortunately, with my situation, I can get into after this, but kind of like that self-fulfilling prophecy led me to, you know, the situations I've had to deal with. So, um, but yeah, so back to you, like what, what's that transition been like? Um, you said, I'll tell you, you said one interesting thing that I wanted to key in on though. Um, yeah, at the end of my run, like sort of at my peak, I mean, it was, it, I mean, it's so addictive you know and it was so mm -hmm. I got so good at the end that it was I mean I didn't have a hundred percent hit rate but very often in New York with an attractive woman it was like taking baby candy from a baby I mean, it was like boom got the number definitely got the date we get the kiss in and then you know I was really well honed as like a yeah sexual machine so then she'd be turned <laughs> on and all that and like <laughs> that's great and then there was an endless supply so it's every yeah. guy's fantasy but the problem is like how do you get off that merry-go-round that's what i want to um, yeah yeah exactly it was i mean the transition once i got serious with my girlfriend and moving over here was very very difficult i mean i was still like the first year or two in london i was like a caged animal a bit yeah um, i mean my wife and i had very good chemistry so that helped but still i'd see girls on the street and it, but i i guess i i just knew maybe it goes back to me quitting drinking when i was 19 and like putting a hard line in the sand mm -hmm. i just knew that I wanted to start a new chapter because a lot of gratitude for my life. I think I've actually had the best of both worlds. I've been like a yeah. rock star playboy, which is amazing. Yeah. But a lot of guys I knew who, who've achieved that or something like that, they can't get off that. And now they're like 45. And it, in my opinion, it, it's not, a, the look doesn't age that well. I mean, it's, a, it's not a great end game in my opinion, but yeah. Um, and I did that, but then I was able to fortune. A lot of luck happened. I met the right girl and this and that and life circumstances, but I was able to now transition. I love being a father and I love playing with my daughter and we're going to 
you know, we're thinking about a second kid. And like, I love being a family unit and traveling with the family. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it's so satisfying on a, uh, on a much more profound level than, than screwing girls. Yeah. But it's deeper. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the joy I get when I play with my daughter, I mean, it's like, but you know, of course, on occasion, I, it's a very titillating lifestyle to be a playboy. You know, and I, but I did it for long enough and I put up, you know, like my book of business, as we talked about, and um, or my catalog. And so I, I'm glad I had to put a hard line in the sand. It was difficult, but I always knew that, like, I wanted to move to the next phase. Mm -hmm. I'm in that now. And I'm, it was for me, it was the right choice for sure. And yeah. um, I, think, I think part of it, you alluded to it a second ago, but I gave an interview to this guy, Troy Francis, when I was getting married. And I, I said, um, I, what actually forced my hand was the men in my life, ironically. Mm. But what happened to me, I think this is true for most guys, got mm -hmm. to New York, had a band of brothers. Women were expendable. They were like disposable. You know, we, we would go out for pizza and cigars or Italian food or, I don't know, bowling or the movies or whatever. And there were all, we all had girls we were banging on the side and the next week they would be gone or whatever but I had this continuity from my band of brothers. They were the ones who gave me the love. and They yeah. were witnesses to my life. You know, you get a promotion, whatever. Parent gets sick, they're concerned, whatever. And what happened was in my early 30s, they all, it's, they all sort of disbanded. They mm. got married and moved to the suburbs. Or they, and I remember a very painful call emotionally. I, I had to process it. One of my closest friends, like a brother from college, he also was a bit of a, he shagged a lot of girls. We used to, we were like running mates. I love the guy. I still do. And yeah. we had a, I had a call with him. I was still single and I was in Los Angeles. Uh, I was away from New York for a couple of weeks. And I, call, I called him and I was like, Hey, da, da, da. and he and then he abruptly ended the call. I was like, I got to go. And he, cause my, my daughter and my wife just got home and he just dropped me like that, which is his pride. Basically I got off that call thinking, fuck, I've lost this brother his priorities are now no longer me and our friendship, but mm. his wife and which is appropriate. Mm -hmm. but I, it took me some time to process that, to realize that men, that band of brothers and that fraternity we had wasn't forever. And that yeah. men were going to reprioritize their nuclear family and their jobs and their, their need to be breadwinners and all this stuff. So basically that happened. And then the replacement crew, who came in was motley there was a guy with like a patch yeah. a guy with a cane and a parrot and, like, and it was like okay this is the this is the second wave here and i just knew that like third wave fourth wave it gets it thins out yeah and um i didn't want to be i didn't want to be in that crowd and that was part of the driver i the family looked a lot, lot i wanted i wanted all, the promise of all the things that family can give yeah. But of course, there's huge sacrifice too. You know, I had a lot of who I was had to die for being, mm. mm -hmm. and that was a painful process. I mean, as a as a voracious playboy, I had to kill off parts of myself. Yeah, you know, as I'm sure you you are a very lustful. Can't be in a closed environment with a number of hot girls without like getting physically excited to fuck them or whatever. You know, but obviously, a, a family man, I can't operate that way. I mean, I'm yeah. not really in close proximity to attractive young woman anyhow but the, my point is like all that like hunting that yeah. hunter instinct i had to right. kill a lot of that yeah well i think that one one of the, the the things that i wanted to ask is with the, your and that's one of the things that a couple people asked me to ask you as well um with transitioning and, and meeting your wife 
what was her reaction to your past and what was her parents reaction to your past knowing where where you came from you know like uh with in-laws i know that's difficult enough but with some guy that has this huge public persona on dr phil you know that was that was that a difficult thing to navigate or, or what did that look like that's interesting um generally the response from like quote unquote good girls or whatever was sort of like a moth to a flame in mm -hmm. other words they're like oh he's dangerous i, I want to get close but not burned kind of thing yeah so actually my notoriety with with the young women was only a plus including my wife i mean she was intrigued by like trying to take down mr big you know, right obviously. yeah yeah but and her parents they're very they're from a small rural town i mean i, I don't even think they could get their head around it really and they didn't i don't think they necessarily watched the clips she had one aunt who was more um like internet savvy and what you know world weary yeah and she sounded some alarms but i've made good on my commitment to their daughter I mean, yeah right i've been yeah. a good husband i married her we've been together 10 years so i think their concerns were allayed yeah it also helped i mean in the beginning my business was doing so well i had a lot of money and we we kind of had a glamorous courtship so mm. they were probably thinking oh it's a bit of fun she was so young i met my wife and she was 20 also oh it's wow like, where where could this lead you know but right then but uh, then i made some big moves obviously I, I uprooted my life and moved over to england that's huge so yeah they probably saw like fuck, fuck this guy's serious yeah so yeah cool cool and and how did that dr phil show even happen like what was that process like how did they reach out to you what was the story behind that oh, that came out of i was on the the today show which was also a huge audience i think eight, yeah. six million or even that happened because i was in a club in new york called um i used to go there often what the hell was it called i can't remember some club in chelsea and my buddy and i the guy i was telling you about who's who's not well who has parkinson's he mm -hmm. and I snuck into a Cosmopolitan magazine launch party and um, it was all women. Mm. And so I was chatting some up and me and I was making out with one girl and we had a nice connection. She was a bit older. And then we went out, she had found getting laid on in NYC on the internet with my name on it. She's like, you fucking bastard. I liked you. I thought you're just another one of these dogs. And so we met for coffee and we still had a, we had a lot of rapport. This Jennifer was her name. She was a producer on the show, and she's like, "Well, oh, wow, you want to come on the show? That you could be you're controversial. They're just looking for high ratings, so yeah. anyone who's controversial." And yeah. so I, I said yes. I wasn't. The thing is, I was at a point in my life where I didn't have that much going on, and I thought, "Well, what do I have to lose?" Right. So I went on these shows, and I used my real name, which was, it, and that's it, worked out. But I mean, it's not, a lot of these guys use pseudonyms, and it's not really yeah. advisable to use right. your real name. But um, anyhow, that's how. It came. And then. It, it all if you do really well in one show like in other words if, it, if it's a high rated show all the other shows watch it and then they're like oh we should get yep. that guy as a guest on got it that's how dr phil happened cool man cool yeah i'm i'm kind of in, in a uh weird kind of transition right now like since i launched this podcast um just when i was in bali last month i got a, a random message from a woman in hong kong and she says, you know, we, we really have been loving your, your content and so on. And she's like, do you do seminars? Do you do workshops and so on? And I'm like, well, I used to work with a, a company back in the day where we, it was a personal development company uh, back when I was in, in Vancouver. And I'm like, I would love to get back into that. 
And, and she said, well, my clients here would really love to, you know, have you come and do like maybe a, a workshop for an afternoon or a weekend. And I'm like, sure. Like, like, who are your clients? And she's like, Facebook and Uber of Hong Kong, like the Facebook and Uber. Oh offices. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like Facebook and Uber, Uber in Hong Kong. So she's actually flying here next week and we're going to put together a program. And then I'm going to be going to Hong Kong uh, probably in May to do some kind of who knows what, but they wanted actually around relationships. So they actually want to do a personal development program around a relationships because a lot of them, I guess, are, um, you know, kind of mid to mid thirties, late thirties, early forties that are kind of either looking to, to settle down and they're just wanting somebody to come in and talk about relationship content because they, they listen to this mini series I've been doing about relationships. So like, kind of like what happened with you, That's you never awesome, really, you never really you. know. How, how long is your, podcast run for the- not long man like six months i i just did episode 50 today i just launched episode 50 today so uh i've got 50 episodes and i've had 33 guests um so i've only done a, a handful of myself so i usually have have people on and that that i interview so yeah it's quite quite That's new great, but- man. good for you I, mean, I, I hope that you know that i'm sure they'll pay you and all that it's good yeah yeah it's it's a paid and they, they want to do a, a continuity contract where i go out to hong kong and it's like an ongoing ongoing program so that's it, a nice bit of business for you yeah. yeah you know we'll see we'll see where it goes but that's why i was interested to hear how you got started and and you never really know what doors open and and we'll see we'll see where this goes but yeah i was definitely uh surprised and honored to get the uh the invite and you know that, i guess let me ask you what what's your I, I don't know what you disclose in terms of your personal life, but what, how old can I ask how old you are? You don't say on the show. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm 38. I'm like super open about everything. I'm probably to a fault. Uh, okay. actually. Yeah. So when you look at, you've sort of told me and summarized how you're leading your life now, which I can relate to, but what do you, what do you think your forties hold for you? You know, that is interesting. So I have, I've had this idea for a business for quite a while and the this past mini series of relationships I've been putting out is kind of validated that there is a need for this. And my background, my university degree is in counseling and basically pre-law, uh, conflict resolution and mediation. Uh, so basically p- helping people solve problems. And the thing that I see is being like a massive epidemic that no one is really addressing like successfully is putting together a counseling or coaching, coaching program uh, for people who are going through divorces and separations, but before it gets to that point, because when it gets to that point, it's too late, but to put together a, basically kind of like, um, a prenups. Uh, so, so I'm working on this, this, this program to basically help protect parents' relationships with their children because of what I've gone through and the, the disaster that I've seen the family court system do to people. So I see myself wanting to really focus in on this big worldwide problem to, uh, to help play a part in solving that. Is it not? Um, that's interesting. Actually, that overlaps a lot with what I'm, my new program actually called No Man Left Behind. Um, is, is, is North American attitudes and also Western Europe, they're sort of similar in Australia or whatever, but, and there's certain divorce rates, but is this, this epidemic is that also 
uh, taking place in Asia or because Dude. of the culture, it's different? Here, here's the thing that's even more like dysfunctional in Asia. They're all married, but they're all having affairs and they've all got side boyfriends and girlfriends. And it's like a known fact. Like it's wide open. Like no, no. Is it? Yeah, man. It's really, really, you know, like here, I'll give you a perfect example. I've known this family for years, like really, really wealthy family. Looks like the perfect Asian family. Father owns a hospital, mother is PhD, uh, two beautiful kids live in like the nicest building, like right next to mine over here. Um, looks perfect. And then one day I get a message from her and she's a wreck. And she's like, "My whole, our whole life is a lie. Um, we both have been in relationships for like the last almost decade with two different people. She's seeing a lawyer, he's seeing somebody else. And I was like shocked because I thought that this was like the role model, like picture perfect family. And I'm like, is this common? She's like, everyone I know is in a similar situation. And that's just like the whole Asian front. Like they don't want to lose face so they don't get divorced, but they're leading these separate lives. Like I'm not saying everyone's like that, but there's a reason why you said that you've been to Tokyo and Korea. There's these love motels like on every corner. And that's where these couples go to have their privacy because they can't bring their lover into their house, but they get these little hotel rooms, rent by the hour. And that's what's going on here, man. So the divorce rate to answer your question isn't as high. It's still increasing every year. But the fact that they're all having these affairs and these other relationships, that's basically, you know, the, the deal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I guess it's, you know, obviously there's problem with marriage and monogamy or challenges and that's why it's given rise to all these alternative arrangements, polyamory or open right. or not settling down. Um, but it's just, I don't know, like someone once described this woman who wrote about, um, she was make, she was a middle-aged woman wrote in the New York times an article. She got a lot of flack for it, but that women should settle because you know, in New York there's a big phenomenon of beautiful but single women in their 30s who are waiting for the perfect guy but he doesn't arrive you know so right. they just age out and then obviously the few guys who are sort of like that want the younger crop you know yeah and uh and she was advocating in her article like being more uh realistic and settling even if the guy snores or he's not you know he's not your perfect height or all these checklist things these girls have yeah. She got a lot of flack, but I remember in that article, this was years ago, she wrote that marriage is, is like a um, running a small nonprofit business. And it is. I mean, my wife, most of what we talked about is like laundry, washing up, the grocery shop, right. the, the day to day affectionate and all that, but or like taking the baby to nursery or the household budget or, I mean, so sometimes I think people get into marriage with over, overly romantic notions of how it should work yeah and if you want to fuck a lot and have a lot of stay single and do that when you're young and healthy i mean marriage is an arrangement yeah. between adults for the benefit of the child and like the economic unit really i mean I, I guess i'm quite practical in that sense right well you know i had a very interesting conversation i had this guy on the podcast a couple episodes ago a friend of mine and he was on 25 different dating apps he matched with almost 3,000 different women and he had connections and conversations with over a thousand of them. So he had all this data and this was over like a, I think about a five year span. 
and we went really deep into this conversation. And I said, you know, what's the real substance of what makes a relationship long-term work? And it was really interesting because he said, he said, most people think it's, it's common interests and they think that it's, it's, it's having like a same personality. He said, the only thing that really makes a, a, a relationship last long-term is the same value to have the same goal to grow I, to grow old and to die together. Like that's it. Like the only way to have your relationship last is to have that one goal. It's not about this or that, all these superficial things you, you would think. It's like, hey, I want to grow old and die with only you. Everything else is negotiable. This is non-negotiable. And, and when he said that, it was just like the first kind of thing that really made sense to me. I'm like, yeah, that's the only thing that can make a relationship really overcome all the mundanity, the, the routine, the, the little bites, is to just say, hey, this is what we're committed to. You know, and I think that's what the problem is. There's not, the integrity is lacking because divorce is, and here's the other thing that's interesting he told me. Actually, no, somebody else told, uh, the, yeah, this other guy, I had a really interesting guy come on the episode about divorce. I did an episode about divorce and he said 80% of divorces are initiated by women. 80% yeah. because they, I have a friend who's just getting, I know that statistic. Yeah. I, I, or I thought it was two thirds, but in anyhow, it's the vast majority. And, yeah. um, or maybe that stat I have is old, but I have a friend who's in many ways a real catch and his wife is divorcing him with two young children. And it's like, um, but as my wife says, when, you know, she, we're part of this big NC, this group of other mothers who had children at the same time. And, are, and these are all like middle-class nuclear family. Yeah. But the, um, I think a common thing for women, especially when the children are young are like, I think it's hard for guys to under, to, to understand what the woman's going through. And having just been through a young baby, I, I, I was just there. I think women feel like it would be almost easier if they were alone because the guy causes as many problems as he solves in terms mm. of, Right. It's just hard to coordinate with an, another person who has their own agenda and their own will and all that. And if, if, if your priority is your children and this husband, even if he has a lot of redeeming qualities, is still frustrating you on several fronts. I think a lot of women are just like, fuck it. I'd be, it'd be, they think yeah. it'd be easier to be alone, to remove that. As my friend is getting divorced, his wife said, I just remove that variable from my life. Right. Yeah. They want to, basically they want more control over stuff. And, when you have another adult challenging your will, you have to compromise. And stuff. It's difficult. Yeah. But yeah. that's a fascinating stat that women do. And they voluntarily take themselves out of something that maybe isn't so bad and put themselves back on the dating market. And they're older now with kids. I yeah. mean, it's, it's been insane. Well, that, that's where I'm seeing now, like all my friends, not all, but a majority, like a, 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 an alarming number of them are now in the process of getting divorced. And these are people that, you know, I'm 38. They're all around my age. So they got married around 30. Uh, some of them got divorced after two years. Some have lasted four years. Some lasted just a few months. So now I'm seeing this trend of, of, of that. And a lot of guys, you know, approaching me because they know what I went through through the, the 10 years of court custody. And, and they've seen just like, you know, starting that process themselves. It, it's a disaster. And it's like traumatizing financially, emotionally, mentally. It just, it's just a lot of, a lot of guys don't recover from that. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons why I've kind of really gotten so heavy into personal development was because I needed it. I needed to, to overcome what I went through at such a young age and, uh, and all that. And, you know, like 
all these kind of like uh, jab, 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 right blow. And, you know, I shared this on a recent podcast. You know, I went through that 10 years. And then I had a, uh, uh, another unplanned pregnancy with a girl here in Korea. And we went through an abortion together. And that was just like, just rocked me, man. That was just like the most hardcore thing. And, uh, and after that, that, your choice or her choice or what? It was mutual, but mostly hers. And it was actually mutually agreed upon because after I went through everything I went through, I'm like, there's no way I can go through this again. But for her, it was because the family, her parents, she said, would like disown her if she was uh, with a child without being married first, because here it is a quite conservative culture. And, uh, and then we went through this and we went to this retreat. So, um, and I talk about this openly on one episode about abortion that there is a retreat center called uh, Rachel's Vineyard that is like basically therapy for couples or individuals who have ever gone through an abortion. And if anybody's listening, I highly recommend that because it was very, very therapeutic. And there's so much healing in that because it is like a loss of a loved one. Like it's, 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 it's a death in your family. And I think that a lot of guys don't really, it doesn't really hit them as hard physically, but down the line emotionally or mentally, it, it can really, like I had one friend that went through an abortion. He tried to commit suicide after it, you know, like it's, it's a heavy situation. So, you know, going through these, these experiences with that have heavy consequences, it's made me really careful. But at the same time, then I see myself going through the same patterning that you want to suppress that by having more stimulus of traveling trips, dating women, sex, all that, you know? So I, it's, try, it's hard to find a balance, I guess, is what I'm saying. There's no perfect relationship. There's no perfect partner. There's no perfect lifestyle. It, it, you're doing the best with what you have, you know? So it's- uh, Before we wrap up, let me, because we're running over. I just got yeah. actually yeah. have back-to-back uh, podcast. Let me uh, yeah. let me just tell this other guy, because I didn't realize it was past 12. Give me a sec. Yeah. Just yeah. so I'm on with I'm, you. Um, time flies. Because he's probably like, what the fuck? Uh, uh let me just tell him real quick yeah sorry um what time is it there uh it's just after nine o'clock uh p.m on tuesday night Uh, i'll just tell him 10 minutes yeah sure sorry boss no no Um, i i I appreciate your time here man this has been this has been great the um one thing I, i mean it's very i don't care if it's controversial but i i do i do think like you know, people, this, this, this mating and pairing up challenge is like so acute now. And it's definitely a result of feminism. I mean, look, I have a daughter and I, I, I believe in feminism. I want her to have all the same chances as a guy would. I want her access to education. I don't want her in any way held back because of her gender for sure. Yeah. But I do think that since the 1950s, women have becoming more emancipated, more empowered and all that. And now, like, I know there were a lot of unhappy marriages, but the family unit was kept intact. Yeah, exactly. Because of the, because of the sort of the two roles. And now everyone, it's like a free for all. Yeah. So women pull the ripcord when they're like, you know, feeling autonomous. They don't want to be held in something that's not working and it's disruptive. I mean, I, I don't know what the future really holds. I mean, as I think someone once said, I've overheard that psychologists or psychiatrists think that monogamy or marriage is a failed prospect because you have two adults who have their individual wills Mm -hmm. and, and like, they're not going to, it's going to be very hard to tie them together over the long haul because they're going to disagree about a lot of stuff. 
Yeah. Like, and, and how do you get two people who both feel entitled to act on their, because they're both now fully emancipated in the, in the something, it, what's the cohesive, what, what keeps people together? I mean, you said it a minute ago about, you know, dying together or growing old together, but it's a challenge. Yeah. But the question is what replaces that? Like if you don't settle down, what, how do you spend your forties meaningfully on a personal note? Right. 50s? You know, for me, um, yeah, I think that that's something that I've got to really look into because I never really saw myself getting married. Like basically the number one thing is rebuilding and reconnecting this relationship with my son. Uh, I'm an only child. I don't have brothers or sisters. So I've got a very close relationship with my parents that I'm very concerned about as they're aging. My dad's 77. Um, you know, my career, my profession, my ventures that I want to do, but also spiritually, like, I don't know what your background is, but like, I'm like, I, I'm very into meditation, minimalism. I'm Catholic. I go to church every Sunday. So I've got this like purpose of development and, and trying to, I guess, be the best person I can be. But at the same time, it's hard to do one thing and then your lifestyle is living a different way. So I'm in this kind of paradox as well. Like I don't really know which box I fit in. And I think that these days there's not really as many, you know, uh, cookie cutter scenarios as, as there once was. But it's something I ask myself a lot. Like you ask me, where do I see myself in, in you know, 10 years, late 40s, early 40s? I have no idea, man. Like I really don't. All this could change. I might be like, you meet the perfect girl and settle down and, you know, just be living in the suburbs somewhere too. Somewhere, I have no idea. I, I really, really don't, man. So I think that's what keeps life. A lot. Of, I guess a, some of it's luck. And um, I'll, I'll plug my course at the end. Here. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, where can people um, check out what you're doing? Yeah. Mm. Do you ever put links in the Absolutely, notes yeah. That? Yeah, yeah, I'll send sure. you a link to it. Um, yeah. But the... No, there was a lot of luck that played into my hand. And so I, yeah. I'm happily married and I, I love spending my time with my family. And my father passed away last fall. Oh, wow. He was 83. He died. And um, it was a sort of a gradual decline, but I've, that was my first loss of a parent. And I'm an only child. Well, I, I have a sister, actually, a half sister in France. But I hadn't lost, I would have been fortunate if I hadn't lost anyone close to me well into adulthood. Right. And I'll tell you, having a young daughter was an incredible emotional counterbalance because I was yeah. sad about the loss, but my orientation is very, uh, is entirely in the future because yeah. I have a young baby. So I'm thinking about her and the, and, and actually it's incredibly cathartic or healing to have that and yeah. let, let go of the past, which is the aging parents. And I, I just, um, I think I, it would have been a much more difficult process without a, a child. Yeah, to lose a parent, um, and obviously at forty-three, a lot of my cohort are we're losing parents, and so mm -hmm. it's an interesting period in life uh, where the family infrastructure is important yeah. in that process. Yeah. So my course is uh, it's called No Man Left Behind. I'll send send a link. It's at yeah. it's hosted on Teachable, and basically it's a twelve-week course, and I talk the first half a lot about my old tactics. I have a new thing that I came up with with one of my autistic students actually, cause he wasn't getting it. And sure. it's called decision node theory. And it's basically, I break down your game into incredibly discrete nodes. And we look at each of the nodes. Cause a lot of guys rush through stuff and they don't realize right. that there's like micro steps that they're missing. And women are very astute. And if you don't do those, right. Um, as my old friend Jeff said, like getting laid is like from a hot younger is like catching a leaf in the wind. You got to be very like, 
you know, it's moving, although it's like a moving target. Yeah. Um, and then the second six weeks of the course is all about how to think about the difference between a girlfriend and a wife or mother of your kids, the preparation for that, how it's different than dating, and then how to screen for a wife. What are the qualities that are important versus mm. the qualities that might be important in a girlfriend? They're very different, I think. Yeah. And sure. then I have a, I have a whole roadmap called steps to the altar, five steps you have to go through until the wedding day. And then including one that a lot of people skip, which is courtship. Mm. And I, I used to have a podcast with this doctor called Dr. Paul Dobransky called Dr. Paul, Mr. Jenka years ago. Yeah. He's a psychiatrist and he, so he's got clinical training in the men in men's psychology. And he says that most, in his opinion, most marriages fail or have trouble because men and women skip the courtship phase. Right. And that's a very important phase. I go into why and all that in the course. And then I, what marriage is like and what my experience of fatherhood's like, sort of as a roadmap for men contemplating this next step. Right. So it's interesting. And I'll, I'll send you a link. And it, yeah. it's, it, it's the only thing out there for a guy who used to be a massive playboy who's in transition and now is happily married as a father. It's a pretty unique roadmap and it might be interesting to some of your audience. Well, absolutely, man. Like this, this call is far exceeded my expectations. Like it, it, it's so cool to connect and after uh, years of back and forth to actually be face to face here and, uh, and uh, breaking bread and telling stories. So yeah, definitely cool. everybody, everybody, I, I can't recommend Paul. Uh, enough and and just like you just said there's not a lot of people that have walked in his shoes to go through the very drastic i guess um lifestyles on you know his pre i guess uh, pre uh marriage and now post marriage and just showing that you can really transfer a lot of your i guess values um as you mature and, and get older so i really appreciate you just being so open and honest about it and uh and i'll have those links here below and yeah, you've got a lot of great videos and content online that, that's for free and also your paid work. I, I highly recommend people check out. Cool. Quentin, thank you. Thank you a lot. I, before we go, I just, the, the actual, the company's called No Man Left Behind. The actual course, because you made me think of it, is called Playboy to Papa. So that's you, you, you know it's, to Papa. That's my trajectory. You, you know what's funny is that was my take. Like when I was sending your, your content to my friends to get some, some questions for this, I said he went from being the number one playboy in the world to now being a parent. So it was like playboy to parent was mine, but playboy to parent, Papa, that, that's got a great ring to it. So we're, uh, we're marketing the same way, man. That's, uh, that's great. Well, I wish you all the best. Continued uh, success with your adventures, but also with, more importantly with your family and relationship, man. It's, it's been great to, uh, to dive deep into this. And we'll have the cool. links below for people to reach out, follow Paul on social media check out his courses and uh, all the best, man. I hope that we can get together at some point when our paths cross, who knows where in the world. All right. Very good. Good to talk to you. Yeah. See you, man. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye. So there you go. I've got Paul's information linked in the comments below. I highly recommend checking out his programs, follow him on social media. And as always, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, you can also go watch this on YouTube as well. We've got all the, uh, all the episodes filmed over on YouTube, Quentin Carlin. And yeah, like I said, the next episodes coming out is all going to be about building businesses, becoming digital nomads and the Bali series that I did last month. So make sure you're recorded or excuse me, subscribe to the show and share this episode. Put this up on your social media, tag me in it, 
let people know if they're looking to increase their romantic lifestyles. Paul's a guy to learn from. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in, especially to the end. You're hardcore. I love you. See you next time. We'll be right back.